0: Somebody on the sidewalk, carjacking old lady at a red light. Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You think it's cool, act a fool if you're right. you are at cuss out a cop, spit in his face. Scope on the flag and light it up. Yeah, you think it's tough. Well, try that in a small town. See how far you make it down.
1: Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by our host and stars of this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. This is a day at the yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. Episode 356 on our network. Got a great guest today. I got to spend some time with him last night. Going through the nuances of the show, we had a vigorous warm up as usual. We don't come in lightly here with Wiley and Will. But uh, before we get going, just want to thank our uh, thank two groups first. Our audience members, sixty thousand subscribers right now, faithful fans in seventy four countries. We appreciate your support. Make sure you give this show five stars afterwards. Write some great comments for Mark and Will because we battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in Major League Baseball. And to our friends at Blackout Coffee, the first partner we took on. Uh, their slogan made me laugh out loud when they reached out to us. It's called, they say, be awake, not woke. I'm drinking their espresso right now in my blackout coffee mug. Mark, hopefully you put that Dunkin' Donuts away during this podcast here. We can't do Dunkin' Donuts during the blackout coffee hour. But um, thank you for your support. You put DAVID at checkout, capital letters, all caps, D A V I D. the number 20 afterwards. They'll give you 20% off at checkout. And uh, in perpetuity, you'll get 15%. So I love friends at... Love coffee, love baseball, and certainly have funny slogans, but give us discounts here. So with that, now, be- before you introduce our guest, Mark, I'm, I'm going to antagonize you a little bit. What the heck is death ball we're seeing out there? First, we had to deal with the darn sweeper. Now they got a death ball.
2: Yeah. Uh, Will sent me last night a, uh, uh, you can tell the article you sent or the the clip you sent me. Yeah, it was on Twitter and it was uh,
3: Jeff Passon giving somebody on Twitter credit for a 12-6 curveball, which uh, I think all of us who've been pitching coaches and uh, been in the game as long as we have uh, know all the concepts and what makes a good one. And uh, Mark, who had a tremendous curveball and I had a good curveball and Jim Palmer, who had a good curveball, I'm sure he
1: laughed if he saw this one as well. We 11 fly 11 I, I texted yeah, fly 11
3: My gosh, we, you know, but I figured I could piss Mark off at about eight o'clock last night. So I sent it to him.
1: They got that on the group. Yeah, we saw he
2: sent it to me and the guy was talking, you know, they talk in the terms now, you know, like they're doing rap soda with the uh, gyro ball. He says it's more of a gyro spin to achieve that. And, uh, you know, I've taught pitching for years and, and taught how to throw a curveball. And like Will said, I felt I had a good one. And, uh, if you can't get, if you don't get your fingers over the front of the ball, you don't have to get all your, sometimes it's two fingers over. Sometimes have guys have enough hand strength and, and, uh, finger strength to be able to, uh, use just the last joint of their finger to get over the front of the ball. But you have to get over the front of the ball to get a ball to break down. I don't know what he's trying to say, but if you're throwing a gyro spin ball, it's not going to go down unless it's just for, you know, lack of speed or or uh, it's not going to be a sharp break like the one you would have if you got the rotation over the front of the ball. So anyway, it made me mad.
1: Go ahead. I didn't mean to pull you off target with our guest, but I wanted to antagonize you a little bit. We saw that in group. Tech. We had Flash Gordon on yesterday as well. I'll have to, I text him, let him know that. <laughs> That was another good one. (laughs) He he was in 12-6. But uh, we've got our guest standing at the door ready to come in. I'll let you bring on our great guest today.
2: Okay, well, this is a dear friend of mine who I've coached in the big leagues for uh, with a couple different major league teams and a very successful manager and a great person and great family man, uh, Mike Hargrove. Um, You know, we're so happy to have Mike on. You know, Mike went to high school. You know, we had that... Uh, lead-in song about small town. Well, they don't get much smaller than in Texas, where Grover grew up. Um, he went on to Northwestern Oklahoma State University, um, graduated from there with a Bachelor of Science in Education. Uh, in 1972, he was drafted in 25th round by the Texas Rangers. Um, the amazing thing is is that, you know, Grover wasn't probably a high priority draft being around the 5th 25th round, but it took him two short minor league seasons in A ball before he got to the big leagues, which is about as fast as you can get there. Um, in the major leagues, he played 12 years, had had 5,564 at bats from 74 to 78 he was with the Rangers. Seventy nine, he was with the Padres. Seventy nine uh, to nineteen eighty five, he was with the Cleveland Indians. Uh, Grover became a major league manager after a few years in the minor leagues as a manager and a and a uh, and a major league coach. In nineteen ninety one, he took over the Cleveland Indians through ninety nine, uh, two thousand to 20, 2003, he was the manager of the Baltimore Orioles, and two thousand five through nineteen. Uh, to 2007, he was the manager of the Seattle Mariners. Um, uh, With those years with Cleveland in 95 through 99, he had five consecutive AL Central Division titles. In 95 and 97, won the American League pennant. And in 1996 and 98, Grover was the manager of the American League All-Star team. Um, You know, it's funny, maybe we'll hit on it a little bit after uh, after Grover kind of retired from managing, he he went back and decided to manage uh, the liberal BJs, which is a summer collegiate league team which he played on when he was a young guy. Uh, he did that from 2007 to 2009 and then he became a special advisor to the Cleveland Indians from 2011 till, till, till now. Um, he uh, had a lot of awards and, and accomplishments that you know I think some people, don't recognize I, This is the part I love when I go through to discover uh, the, the bio of, of different guests. Um, but, I, you know, I always like to let everybody know some of these things that you may not know. Um, as a player, he was in 1993. Um, he was uh, inducted into the <clears throat> Northwestern Oklahoma State Hall of Fame. In 2008, he was inducted into the Cleveland Indians Hall of Fame. Um, there's a book out by Jim Ingram, uh, Mike Hargrove and the Cleveland Indians A baseball life. Uh, he was the AL rookie of the year in 1974. He made the all-star team in 75. He had seven seasons. He was in the top 10 in walks four times. He had over a hundred walks. Um, in 1976 and 78, he had the most walks in, in the, uh, American League with 97 and 107. He had nine seasons in the top 10 OBP. Um, He was five times uh, on-base percentage over 400. In 1981, he had the highest on-base percentage in the American League at 424. Uh, Six times, he hit over 300. His career batting average is 290. And his career fielding average is 291. so you can see we're talking about a guy who's a great manager, but also a great player. So, you know, welcome Grover, and we're so glad to have you on.
4: Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. I didn't, I didn't realize some of those stats either. So, so I appreciate that. That you know, you earlier you talked about that the curveball, and I was struck with the thought that that the only thing I know about pitching until I know, know, know about. A curveball is that. Curveballs are hard to hit, so <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a pleasure. I've been I've been looking forward to being on this show with you guys for ever since we started talking about it, and I uh, uh, hope that the things that we talk about uh, are not too hard to answer.
2: Well, I think you know you're going to be able to help a lot of people. We have a lot of listeners from not only players in front office, like Dave has said, but you know we have a lot of parents that are trying to. Figure out what to do or or even players that are trying to figure things out that listen to the show, so you know that's why we we like to have guys that have been through it and and have good advice for for young guys uh either starting their career or during their career so you know having said that my my first question is that who were your mentors uh, when you played and managed and all that
4: oh wow that's a good question um you know I was real fortunate to have uh, a number of, of uh, good coaches when i when i played from high school all the way through the, to to the to the big big leagues uh, my high school basketball coach and my in my um college baseball coach uh, were probably the two you know biggest influences in my life personally um in my big league career, I played, you know, I played 12 years in the big leagues and and I played for 11 different managers. I think that was an indictment on my talent that I got 11 guys fired. But um, (laughs) Dave Garcia um, was a, was, was a good influence on me. He taught me how important a player's um, personal life is and how, how it, how it, um, can affect their, their, uh, their output and and their ability to play, you know, every day. He used to say, he used to say my job, he said, my my job is to get a hundred percent of whatever percentage you have to give me that day. You might've had a, you know, a a tough morning at at the house and, and, you know, the lunch was late and, you know, all this and you'd squabbled with your wife. He said, you may have only only like 75 or 80% to give that night. And he said, My job is to get hundred percent of that eighty percent. And that made a lot of sense to me. And uh, on the you know, on the technical side of the game, probably you know, I played for Billy Martin my first two years in the big leagues and and uh, he he was he was uh absolutely amazing. He you know, he I was talking to him a lot, I talked to him a lot and listened a lot. But uh he told me that that uh he you know as, as a rule, general rule, he gave the first five innings to the players and, and, uh, and didn't, you know, didn't worry about, you know, how he affected the game in the first five innings, but the last four innings he said was his. And that's when, that's when he would, you know, use pitch outs and, and, uh, and, you know, squeeze you know, the whole, the whole thing that, that a manager can do to, to affect the game. But the first five innings he let you play in the last four innings, that, that was, uh, you, you, uh, you did what he, he, he said.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, Dave Garcia, you know, I grew up in San Diego. So Dave was always around and, and, uh, he was, he, he always used to sit up with my dad and watch the games and stuff. So, you know, when I got into pro ball, um, it was kind of cool every time I'd see him, he was such a insightful, gentle, awesome guy. I mean, he was a
4: good, he was a good man. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, he was, he was a great guy. You know, um, I've watched you first, firsthand deal with all types of players over the years and being a successful major league manager. How did you make genuine connections with so many different types of personalities? Because I know, you know, we had a different type of team in Cleveland that performed at a very high level for many years and there couldn't have been more drastic uh, differences in personalities.
4: <laughs> well, you you have to let, I think that you have to let people be who they're going to be within certain limits. And, and, and as far as you, you know, I just, I always tried to set the ground rules early on with them individually. You know, you set the ground rules, you know, in in your first speech in spring training, but then individually you'd talk to guys and, and uh, um, you know, try to, try to uh, set the limits of how far you were willing to to go with them and and let them know that, that you were, you know, you were on their side. I think, I think in, in a lot of, a lot of cases uh, throughout the years, I've seen it where, you know, managers and coaches almost have an adversarial relationship with some of their players and, uh, and, and that never works. So uh, I did that. And I tried, you know, I tried to talk to them, be personal, you know, personable and personal with them. Uh, let them know that I that that uh, that I was interested in not only, you know, how their career was going and what they were struggling with and trying to face, you know, on the field, but also at home. You know, to let them know that that uh, <clears throat> that I was interested and invested in 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 what was going on in their lives, and I think that you know that it opened a line of communication to where you know, I didn't dig, you know, I didn't dig into, you know, a guy's personal life to the point to where it would be embarrassing for him, but, but let him know that, that, you know, I was keeping tabs on him. Um, and, and I think that, you know, just kept, the, tried to keep the lines of communication open, um, with them. I remember one time in Kansas city, if I, if I'm talking too long and too much, let me know. No, and I no, remember one no, time no. in Kansas city, things weren't going real well for us and, and, uh, and I just I had reached my limit with you know my patience and and so I've, I I uh, um I was sitting in my office with the door shut and you and and uh, and uh, Jeff Newman came into my office and sat down with me. You may not remember this, but I do. And for 30 minutes, just read me the Riot Act. You can't hide. You can't. You got to get out there with them. You know this is not working this way and. And you you know you just you need to you need to get out and get among them like you've always been, uh, and uh, that really hit home with me. I, you know I remember that like it was yesterday. And, and y'all you guys were absolutely right. So um, you got to you got to be out a, a, among the players uh, during batting practice and um, and uh, just uh, you know, treat people like they're people, not just like they're robots. I guess.
3: No, uh, you know, Mike, there's so many great points you just brought up and, you know, I'm still working in the industry and I listen to the modern day so-called leadership and they forget that they're human beings. A lot of the general managers haven't played. They don't understand how hard the game is. They don't understand how hard life is. You know, we had Dickie Knowles on last week. He talked about, you know, life's not easy. You know, and we have ups and downs and Uh, The connections you made and, you know, we were all there for the Albert Bell years, but what the Indians did for Albert Bell to make him the great player that he was, was through patience and developing relationships and truly caring about making him the best player he can be. And I see in our industry now, we've lost patience. We've lost, we look at people as assets, not as human beings.
4: Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, I, I absolutely totally agree with that. And, you know, I think an important thing that, that, you know, Terry Francona in, in, when he managed in Cleveland, uh, was so good at, and, 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 you know, I, I tried to do the same thing before him is that you, you try to get your players to take ownership in the team. Uh, so many, so many, it's so easy to go out and, uh, you get two hits at one night, and 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 you know you get beat, and um, you know you're 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 okay with that because you got your two hits or three hits. Um, but to get players to take ownership in the team, I think you know will take a team way beyond what it is or you think they're physically capable of
2: doing. You know, it's it's funny. I you know I always <clears throat> I always went by the if you have a good enough relationship with someone, you should be able to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. So like when Jeff and I had that talk with you, we were comfortable that, you know, like you weren't going to like crush us, that we could say honest things to you to try to help the situation. And, you know, in this day and age, there's so few people that are willing to do that. You know, I remember Danny, Danny taught me a long time ago, Danny O'Dowd, that sometimes confrontation is good if it's done early enough before everything festers. Yeah, And uh, you know, and that in today's world, that's really hard for some of these young new general managers. I mean, they fire guys and, and uh, you know, hardly talk to them. Um, they never tell them what they could have done better uh, before they ever got to a point of feeling like you had to fire the guy. And I, I don't understand that when we're all working together if you didn't like something i was doing or you wanted me to calm down when i was getting too upset during a game and you know i had to respect that and learn from that but there's so many people now that don't try to help you do that you know yeah. get control of the situation
4: you know uh um, gosh i can't think it was i can't believe i can't think it was name He's a manager before I, before I before before I took over. Who's our manager before I took over? Doc Mark?
2: Edwards. No, or John McNamara. John
4: McNamara. God, Johnny Mac. <clears throat> Johnny Mac. You know, he used to. I used to go up to his room in the hotel uh, quite often at his invitation. But he and then we'd sit and talk. And and um, Johnny Mac told me one time. He said, "Mike, the most important relationship you're going to have in your job as a manager is the, is the relationship you have with your general manager." And I, and I said, you know, why is that? He said, because if you don't, if you, if y'all aren't communicating on a regular basis, little bitty things that happen all of a sudden get blown completely out of proportion. And, and, uh, and, and that's, and at the end of it, that's not good. And, uh, you know, I played, I've managed for a, for a, you know, general managers that had, you know, a lot of diverse personalities and, uh, but I always tried to, uh, always tried to uh, keep that line of communication open. You know, they'd go up to their office and we'd talk or they'd, they'd stop by my office after a game and we'd talk. And, and I think it kept a lot of uh, a lot of small things from becoming big things and, and we were able to work through a lot.
2: Yeah, yeah I think I, that's I, important.
4: Yeah, I, I think we
3: saw that just within this recent World Series, the relationship that – chris young has with his manager and his coaching staff and how genuine that connection is i've seen videos of him very emotionally hugging coaches that have lived through some tough years there when they won the world series and those are real connections of saying tough things to people but getting better by doing it and they, they certainly did that and they did it extremely well this year
4: yeah they did it's fun to watch.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, no it's
2: funny. You go back and, you know, I, I go back to the years that I coached with the Indians in the early years and through the years with you. And, uh, you know, people don't realize <clears throat> here are some names of guys that either played or coached for the Indians during our period with the Indians. Um, Ron Washington, Terry Francona, John Farrell, buddy black buddy bell mike hargrove charlie Manuel. those are a lot of guys that are major league managers with a lot of time in as major league managers that no were doubt. all part of those cleveland indians teams and uh no it was funny because i remember one time i told i was in the winter meetings and and uh, uh buddy black was there and he called me over they had like a you know i think those bars and the lobbies of the hotel yeah. in, winter, in, in winter meetings. And I was, he called me over and John Farrow was there and we had a couple beers and we were talking and they, and we, we realized that Terry Francona and Ron Washington, all four of them were on the same team at one time. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it's, it really is amazing how this works. And you know what? Managers just don't pop up like that out of one organization like that. No, um, that many guys that we have connections with each other.
4: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's amazing how important relationships are in the game, more than the more than the balls and strikes and the and all that. That relationships are so important because I think they allow I think they allow people a certain amount of ease or comfort in in um, in in knowing how another person ticks, and uh, and uh, you know it's just it's got it's it's beyond. For me, it's it's so beyond, you know, your defensive schemes, how you're going to pitch people, you know, uh, you know, your approach to hitting, all that kind of stuff. That the, the personal relationships that you have with with guys throughout your years makes such a difference in number one, how you enjoy your job, but also how successful you give yourself a chance to be. Yeah,
2: no doubt. Yeah, it's uh, it really is. Uh, you know it's a it's a great game, and it's it is totally about you know relationships. Um, you know I love what you said about you know the what Johnny Mack said about being having a good relationship with the general manager. I you know I asked Dan O'Dowd sometime I said you know he was in one of his periods where he got really upset. I said why do you get so mad? And he says I'll tell you why I get mad. He says I'll, I'll tell you why probably a lot of general managers get mad. And I go why? And he says. Because we spend massive amounts of times putting these teams together, you know, making trades, signing guys, doing whatever we have to do to put a team on the field. And he says, then once they're on the field, we got to turn them over to you guys, and we have no, we have no effect. He says, no so you get, so it's natural to get upset because you put the team together, you think is going to be really good, and he says, then you have no control over it once on the field. That's why. You, Johnny Mack was right. You know, your relation with the general manager is really important because those festering things can get out of control fast. Because oh, guys yeah. get mad. They get mad uh, up in the, in the. I mean, there's there's stories about different general managers in the past throwing ashtrays through the wall in their in their box up there and stuff. You know, right. so um, it's 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 a crazy thing. That's but that's where relationships have to be.
4: Well, that's that's funny you said that because because I, I talked to the maintenance people there in Cleveland a few times. They stopped by and we'd talk, and they they told me the one time. She said, "Mike, you wouldn't believe how many times we've had to repair the wall in Danny O'Dad's office."
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh,
3: yeah I, there's been that a few guys.
2: Thing. Yeah, there's been a few guys that I never I heard about it from friends of mine with different organization. I said, "No way." And it would be a guy that I thought was a really calm general manager. And they go, oh, yeah. no, man, when he goes off, he goes off. But I guess it kind of makes sense that, you know, you spend all that time putting a team together and then you you're really not have any effect during the game.
4: I think but, it says uh, something about people, people's competitive edge, too. You know, you just, you know, you, in whatever your job is, we're, we're all ultra competitive and, and uh, sometimes, you know, enough's enough. You know, oh, was, Grover.
2: Speaking of that, you know we just Bobby Knight just passed away. Yeah. <laughs> you talk about him. Uh, t- just a little uh, quick story. Tell that story in spring training when we were there, and <laughs> when Bobby Knight was over there. You he put it in his book. Um, yeah. But, and Leland and all those guys were there.
4: Well, they had uh, Tony Russo. Always was was famous for bringing people into spring training, and, and I looked. We were playing them. Um, mm-hmm. And I looked over and there was there – Tony was sitting there and Bobby Knight was sitting next to him. And uh, who's the, the – Bill the, Parcells. Bill oh, Parcells. Yeah. Parcells and John Hatton. Was, was it, uh, there were th- like three or four guys there that were just legend. I mean, absolute beyond, above legendary. And none of them baseball people. And uh, I rode on a ball. Oh, there the to tony i said tony i see that the, i see that uh, that the uh, 12 apostles are here where's jesus <laughs> and i uh, threw it and threw it over to him he read it, and bobby knight wrote back, I, was, I still have the ball he wrote back said he said mike he said if we were that good I'd, I'd have won the final four and parcells would be the super bowl coach so so we're just we're just here enjoying it it was a it was a good uh, it was a good a good time
3: yeah, that was, Mike, that was my coverage there in the Jupiter area for years. And I would love just listening to Parcells and Knight talk up in the lunchroom where the scouts would, would eat. They were they were great. They loved talking baseball. They loved asking what we looked for, you know, what uh, I would pick their brains all the time. And Parcells. When he was a Giants coach, I used to run into him in Trenton. He had season tickets at the minor league stadium there, too. So I ended up getting to know him extremely well as well.
2: Yeah, he's a a great baseball guy. He asked good questions, too.
3: Oh, yeah, he was fabulous.
2: You know, Grover, you know, I mentioned it earlier in the bio. You weren't a highly sought-after player out of college, but you got to the big leagues like in short, two short seasons. You know, what was your mindset and how did, how long did it take you to feel comfortable and confident in the big leagues? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, you became rookie of the year. I mean, who would ever thought you were coming out of college, 25th round, and you'd be rookie of the year two years later? Yeah, well, you, yeah,
4: you, you're right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where you just, you're, 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 uh... You're just in the right place at the right time. I think the good Lord, you know, has a plan for all of us, and His plan was for that to happen. I just need to take advantage of it. I think I was too stupid to realize the pressure of the situation. To tell you the truth, um, <clears throat> I remember my my, uh, sh- my wife Sharon's her mother one time. I heard her say something to Sharon about about you need to do this because you can't you can't believe the amount of pressure Mike's under. And I thought to myself. I'm I'm under I'm under pressure. How's that? I think the the first the first inclination I had probably of that was was uh, opening day in 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 in, uh, in Texas. Uh, I was a non-roster player invited to camp and I made the big league club out of camp, and uh, and then Jim Sundberg was on the he was on the forty man, but we hadn't signed uh, contracts. So uh, Dan O'Brien was the uh, general manager of the of the Rangers at that time. And, and here we are both in in, uh, in full uniform, getting ready to go out for batting practice and just nervous as a tick as it was. And we got a message that we had to go up and see Mr. O'Brien in, in his office. So we went up there in our uniforms and I sat down talking to him and he was telling me, he said, Mike, he said, he, he said we're, here's what we're offering you, you know, so much for for a triple a and so much for playing in the big leagues, which at that time was the minimum, the minimum was $15,000. And I said, okay, that's, that's good by me. I said, "Uh, is there any way that I can sign a contract? When I signed the contract, I had a stipulation that, that I get my, my pay spread out, my big pay spread out over, over the, you know, 12 months. And, uh, and he looked at me and and, uh, Danny, he was a really great man. He said to me, he said, why don't we look, why don't we wait and see how long you stay here before we start talking about spreading your contract out over 12 months? And I thought, oh, no, I I guess I'm not here to stay. But fortunately I was and, and, and things worked out. But that was kind of my first inclination to how, how tenuous um, as a young player, especially when coming out of A-ball, uh, how tenuous your situation is at the big league level. And, and uh, you know, the, the odds were that, that that I wouldn't stay there the entire year, but that was the first time I, I came up to that realization. But I never really, you know, I just I don't. I think I was just so stupid that I never really realized the pressure that that I was under.
1: Mike, you say that. Uh, I I think that's a great trait to have, and and I'm not being funny with that because we see guys nowadays, and I want you to speak about this as a manager and and as a as a consultant as well. In analytics has. It's it's a major part of the game now, but I have a hard time with it because I think when guys are looking at iPads in the dugout and guys are so immersed in uh, becoming too aware of what's going on, they lose that unconscious competence that they have to just play, um, where I don't think you can be in deep study and compete at the same time. So I think the trait you're talking about is a good trait to have. Um, I'm glad you brought it up, but how do, how do you see analytics influence in the game because to get guys... Uh, Maybe to the point that you were at, where you were just out there playing, having fun.
4: Well, yeah, it's. Um, I, th- I think analytics has its place, <clears throat> has its place in the game, <clears throat> but I also think that we've, we've we, we we like, like a most human traits, we take, you know, we take it one or two steps too far, to where it takes away the natural, um, reactions you have, um, and I, you know, I, I sit there and look at players. And, and they're on those iPads in the dugout looking at their previous at bat. That's nothing new. What but what we used to do is that players would go back to the uh, video room uh after an at bat and, and check out uh, you know check out their at bats and it got to the point when in Seattle that um that I that I um uh, I banned them from going back to the video room to watch their at bats at least for two innings. Uh, and uh, they weren't real happy with that, but but I was, and I, and I was, I was, uh, I, my boat was the only one that counted. But uh, I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in the technology, in the percentages, and 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 the, that whole mess. It it really takes away from some guys. Now some guys handle it well, but but I think for the most part, it takes away their ability to 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 react and you know naturally to what to what the situation is.
1: Yeah. Now, who who influenced your mindset early on in the game when you were a young kid coming through? And and the other thing is, I'm guessing you were, and and, and if not, forget, But did you play multiple sports?
4: Yeah, I did play m- multiple sports. I, I went to I went to college on a basketball scholarship of all things, and got tired of looking <clears throat> looking at everybody's kneecaps because I was much much sh- shorter than them, um, and um, and quit basketball and got a football scholarship at the same school and. And um, and ended up playing uh, football also for the last uh, two years of my in my college career, and then played four years of baseball. Um, you know, probably I don't know that that there was any one person, David, that that, that uh, influenced my mindset so much as it was the combination of, of my high school basketball coach and then my <clears throat> college uh, um, college baseball coach, and and then <clears throat> Dave Garcia and and, uh, and Billy Martin. Um, I probably learned as much, uh, from, uh, watching guys do <clears throat> what, um, uh, what I thought was wrong, um, uh, and, and affected their ability to, to perform as much as I did as watching what guys did,
1: you know, what, what were some things that you saw or what were some observations?
4: Um, some observations I, 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 I saw, guys would talk guys would talk about among themselves would talk about their the the at bats the first at bat they had in the game and they're coming up on their last at bat and I'm sitting there thinking well that, they're letting that failure um, affect any affect any possibility you had of being successful in that next at bat they were still you know they're still the umpire missed a pitch and you know struck you out on a bad pitch um, and um, them sitting there and and pissing and moaning about you know the umpire how bad he was and 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 just getting in a, a real negative mindset to where it really affected their their next at bats and, and and I I tried to do that and, you know once it was over for me it was over, uh, I had a guy a clinical psychologist named Lou Tice out of Seattle when I was I was with the Rangers. He came in and gave a three day seminar to us and 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 he he talked he he talked about the thing that really. Helped me a lot. Uh, talked about them. You know, if you make an error in the field, and uh, and it was just a stupid error, <clears throat> then then you know, go go over it in your mind one time and see what you did wrong, and then the next time you think about it, see yourself in your mind going through it and making the right the right move on it, and then once you've done that, let it go, and and uh, that that really had a real a real positive and profound effect on, on, on my ability to, you know, stay in the moment.
1: I love that. I love it. Well, go ahead. You had something you wanted to.
4: Yeah. Like, you know,
3: like I, I look at packets that the hitters and pitchers now have, it's like taking an SAT test prior to the game. And you talk about, you're not freeing your mind up and, you know, like I'll go back to when I was with Cleveland and, Manny, Manny Ramirez, first sign, who's one of the best pure hitters we've ever seen from the right-handed side of the plate, just a natural hitter who was smart in his own way as a young hitter. But, I mean, he people don't need all this data to be good hitters or good pitchers. And, you know- and like you said, you know, we're, we're taking away – the reactionary, you know, with games that are being scripted where pitchers are becoming extremely predictable, where they always throw a breaking ball three and two now as opposed to – and when you see a guy throw a fastball down the middle, how many big-league hitters now get locked up on a cockshot shot fastball with a 2 pitch? Yeah. And you go, what are you looking for? Yeah. You're not going up there to hit. Yeah. You're, you're, you're allowing your mind to be so cluttered with too much data, you know, and, and you had Albert who was extremely bright, who probably could have taken a lot of the data now and made himself as good a hitter as he was, maybe even better, but Manny didn't need any of the data that's all available now. I don't think he had his own way of hitting. It was just natural. And, and like you said, you figured things out on your own.
4: Well, yeah, you know it's 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 funny you say that. Well, because uh, <clears throat> you know probably the most creative and prepared coach I ever had to work for me was Mark Quiley. Yeah. Um, and and especially in the play, you know, postseason, you'd get you'd get scouting reports that were just, I mean, chock full of information, all useful information. And I remember us sitting down and, and talking to Mark, and uh, and and. I said, "This is too. This is this is too much, Mark." He said, "You're right." He said, "He said well, what we've got to do is go through this scouting report, distill it to the point to where we give each player, each pitcher, three or four certain points that they have to be aware of, and and then let them play." And I thought that was so so good um, that that uh, you, you that players can't handle all that information. We I mean, coaches yeah. can't handle all that information. Yeah. Um, Uh, You know, uh,
3: in in 97, I advanced for Leland and Larry Rothschild about three or four different times and then before the playoffs. And, you know, one of the things they wanted on hitters was, uh, does he swing early, first pitch fastball, does he go up there hunting it? Um, Does he look away? Is he hot or not? And push comes to shove, where's the one place we can, the best chance we have of getting them out with a fastball? Yeah. And that was a very simple approach, but it worked. You know, we had guys that had good stuff. We had guys who could command the ball, which is like the lost art of pitching. Now, people care about spin rate, velocity, and shapes as opposed to making a good pitch in a good part of the zone that's going to get a hitter out. Weak context is good as, swing and miss, you know, I'll take it all day. So
4: Yeah, yeah well we yeah. Uh, we saw firsthand your scouting the results of your scouting report in ninety seven. Well I you know Mark, you know,
3: that it, that was it was hard for me because I loved all you guys, but I had to admit that I did celebrate them. And then I had <laughs> a great a great relationship with Charlie Nagy because I had him from the time that he signed and we're still close. You know, when, when his head dropped, I went, oh, man. And then I went, oh, my gosh,
2: we won the World Series. Yeah, really, yeah. Yeah, you had to be caught in between, you know. Yeah. Going back to, to you know, gath- information gatherers, you know, like there's whole departments now in major league organizations. That's their whole job is to gather information. And, hey, I get it. I get it that they – you know, they want to show how good they are, what they do. And they want to gather all, but there's so many of them that have no idea what's really necessary during a game in the major leagues. Mm -hmm. They're just gathering information and they hope you'll be able to distill it like you said, Grover. But you know what? You know, sometimes we don't need all that information. I don't want to take time to distill stuff that I shouldn't have to distill. I'll never forget the one time we had, we had an intern that was, charting the game grover i don't know if you remember this and he gave us a report uh off the chart the uh the the uh the charting system we had mm-hmm. and uh it was pretty good you know it had all the highlights in there anything but then he had in there he says they like to hit and run on three two yeah <clears throat> with you know like three two with two outs they like to they like to hit and run yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, and I remember Grover, I hadn't got to that part of the report. I was reading and you yelled at me, Mark, can you come in the office here for a minute? And I go, yeah. And he goes, check this out. They liked a hit and run with two outs on three, two counts. Because he saw the guys running and he he didn't realize that guys run with two outs. Right. I you do know, and, that. and you said, could you, could you tell him that he doesn't have, need to give us that much information? I'll never forget that. It made me laugh. Pretty um much. But we that's you know, that's what to, happens. Yeah, we
4: had to tell him that three or four times. You know, I, yeah, the, I do.
2: Yeah, it's uh, yeah, they they they're so caught up in 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 filling in the boxes, they don't realize that the boxes don't mean anything.
4: Yeah, you know.
2: Yeah. Um, but uh, anyways, you know, Grover, you know, you manage so many winning teams and winning players and stuff what are some of the important things you think a winning team have? Oh, geez. Yeah. That's, I think, you know, I, I really think that,
4: the, that, that one of the biggest things that, that, uh, you know, just off the top of my head and I, but I really believe this in my heart is that, uh, to develop a winning culture, you have to convince the players they need to take ownership of what's going on with the ball club. Um, and, um, But the teams that you know, the teams we had in Cleveland, the, 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 the team that you know in, in 2007 in Seattle. I mean, we were 12 games over 500 at one time at the, at the All-Star break, and that's you know that's from a ball club that the two, the two years previously or three years previously had had lost up you know close to or over 100 games. But 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 these guys they really took to heart you know taking ownership of what was going on with the ball club. I always still told, told the players I read this on, in a book about Bear Bryant. He said, and I, and I told the players that, that uh, you know we're going to run this run this ball club in this season as a democracy, and everybody will have a vote in what's going on. But the only thing, when the push comes to shove, and you come down to it, my vote is probably the only one that's going to count. And um, and everybody laughed and thought that was funny. But 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 if you you allow players the ability or the comfort level to come to you with what they think should happen. Um uh, then I think that you'd start the process of them, you know, taking ownership and, and uh and I think that elevates whatever physical talent you have on that ball club, I think that elevates it to a certain degree. Uh and I think that's you know one of the basic foundations of of a of a winning ball club and a winning culture. Uh yeah, you've got guys like Albert Bell and Eddie Murray and uh Manny Ramirez and Charlie Nagy and 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 all those guys that you know, Jose Mesa. All those guys that, that were so talented, um, but but a lot of times that, that can only carry you so far. If you want any consistency at all, they they have to be they have to be actively aware of the fact that that this ball club in 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 reality is theirs, and the and the result of that of that effort that night is is yours. You're going to wear that. All of us, not just the players, the coaches, the manager, the we're all going to wear it. Um, but if they if they take a if they take a uh, an interest in in, in the ownership of the ball club, then I think that develops a winning culture, and and uh, and you see players coming over in the middle of the season that you you, know, you trade for, and and uh, and you see them fit in fairly quickly because of the fact that that uh, the players themselves expect a certain level of ownership. So that's that's my take on that.
2: You know, yeah, like, I, mean, I remember during those years we had a lot of, uh, you know, we had guys that that were vocal in the in the dugout or locker room, and guys that weren't, um, guys that overlooked like temper tampons that a player did and didn't lose their own focus. Um, but that's all like being a family, you know, learning what what your teammates like, guys you can get on, guys that you need to like just have a bad face toward and they, they get the point.
4: Yeah.
3: They do. uh, Mike, I've talked a lot about, you know, my years there in the minor leagues, how I thought that uh, when Johnny Goral decided to become the field coordinator, he created a culture in the minor leagues of accountability for everybody who was there every day to do the right thing. And he held everybody accountable and, Uh, I go back to signing with the Orioles and Cal Ripken Sr. and the people there that they did the same thing. And I see in our industry now, we are not creating accountability and leadership amongst our players. And I think a lot of teams are so void of that because of kids that just grow up playing in individual showcases and not playing as part of teams. And it's really become I think a a real detriment to the to the game, and that's why Arizona was fun to watch. They pulled the rope the same way all throughout the playoffs, and Texas was fun to watch. That those little things that the analytic department can't measure are extremely important, and we got to get back to them.
4: Oh, I agree. I agree, Will. I really do. just like I said yeah. earlier, you know, we all like like new ideas, but the whole idea is not to take them you know, one step too far because it, it, then, then the results are never good. No, exactly.
2: Yeah. Well, we got a good one for that one. I got, I stole this one, uh, Grover. He says, uh, it's good to think out of the box, but don't forget what the box is for. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We, I, I stole that, but it was a good, it was a good one. Um, you know, you're a tremendous family man as I know and everybody that's around you knows um and you you always have a lot of emphasis uh, empathy for anyone that has to perform at the top of their game and has some unique family responsibilities I mean you had you had kids a lot of kids and you had them in the minor leagues as a manager and a, a player in the big leagues and and uh you know balance and all that didn't do you have any stories or anything where you feel like you've helped a player, you don't have to name any names, but helped a player see their career and perspective along with their family life?
4: Um, you know, Mark, that's a good question. You know, not off the top of my head. I, You know, I, I, you know, I can think of one instance, but it's a real personal interest in, in, you know, instance that I really don't want to share. Uh, but uh, um. You know, it's just it's it's uh, no, I I can't think of any 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 stories along that line. How about what did you go take a hike? I can remember that
2: stuff. (laughs) How did how did uh, you know? How did you and Sharon manage all that when you were coming up out of college and signing and getting to the big leagues really quick, and then you know start your journey, and then having children and getting into the managing thing.
4: Well, I was I was really really lucky that that uh, I married a, a, a gal that 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 uh, is just so good inside and out. Just is really really good, a good person and a good wife and a great mother, um, and I think that helped a lot. And we we've, we've always tried to teach our kids that <clears throat> you know obviously like every parent you can say there's nothing you can do ever that will make me stop loving you, but we we took it a step further and, and said you know. This, your, your home, and this is how I felt about it, but my home was, was like a sanctuary. If I ever was a little empty on, on you know, my gas tank was a little empty of that I knew that when I'm going home that that, um, that there was a place to kind of refill all that and, and uh, kind of a, um, a safe zone, obviously. I think we all believe in that, but, but uh, um, that really helped me. I, I never I tried real hard to never bring the game home and uh and uh, sharon was sharon was smart enough and and intuitive enough to to realize that there were certain times and to talk about what's going what was going on on the field especially when i managed uh and uh and so we would talk a little bit about that but it be, be it might be a day later uh but but home was kind of your sanctuary kind of your safe place and and it was it was where I really was able to recharge and and thank the good Lord that that uh, that He put Sharon in my life because she uh, she realized that early on and and uh, it never pressured me that way. So uh, um, it's just it's the one place you can go whether you know no matter what's happened in your life that day or is going on in your life that day. That's the one place you can go you can go to to kind of just kind of recharge.
2: You know. Uh... One thing that in today's game, and this kind of hit home when I was doing your bio and I saw how important, you know, on-base percentage and batting average and walks and stuff for to you. It seems like today's game, there's so many guys saying that that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And I, I don't get that. I don't get that. And my comment was, well, I guess Harmon Killebrew didn't really appreciate Rod Crew getting on base before he came up.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, I watched, especially I watched the the World Series, and I would see guys. It'd be, you know, a lot of those games got blown out late, but uh, there were times that during the game early on, they'd come up to the plate and they and they leading the inning off, and they needed they needed base runners, they needed guys to get on base, and uh, and the they'd run the count to three one, and then they'd take this god awful huge swing, trying to lift the ball out of the ballpark on 3-1 and pop it up. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if you've got a 3-1 count, you've got two pitches to give yourself a chance to get on base, either by walk or getting a base hit. Because essentially, it's like Will said, you know, the 3-2 the, the count anymore has become an off-speed count. And uh, and uh, um, the swing, they didn't allow themselves to get to, to, to optimize their chances of getting on base. And um, so I, you know, I just, I got, uh, that's, I've, I've noticed that more and more in the game that, that there aren't, there, there aren't guys that are willing to be disciplined enough to, uh, to, uh, to take a walk, uh, to get on base in situations where you need to get on base. I mean, if you've got the bases loading, you got a three, one count and, you know, go for it. I, I understand that. But if you're leading anything off and understanding the game and, and the nuances of the game, how important just getting a guy on base to kind of break the rhythm of the pitcher and, and not willing to take, you know, not willing to take the count to three two, to give yourself a chance to, uh, <clears throat> you know, to, to get on base. Um, just it, it really goes against everything that I that I believe in in the game. Yeah.
2: Uh, we yeah, we I, see a lot of that
4: now.
3: No, uh, I was listening we see to
2: a lot of... Of... Oh, go, go ahead. We'll... No, I was just going to no, say I was just saying that they, there's so many uh, you know people that, that you know they're paying people they're not paying people uh for those things that are really important they're paying them for you know home runs and and those yeah. kind of things and and uh you could see how the games change because players want to make money. And, you know, yeah. I mean if you if you paid guys and you said it was important, believe me, there'd be a lot more guys taking pitches and getting on base.
3: You bet. You know, I listened to a discussion on MLB radio, and they were talking about uh, Raz from Miami and Solaire. And the one guy was highly analytic, and he said, yeah, Raz is a decent player. Well, he's 26 years old. He's won two consecutive batting titles. Yeah. Um, I, you know, he's hit, hit over 30 doubles. He says, well, you know, he's, but you know, Soler who strikes out 150 to 200 times a year has been on the DL is so much more valuable because he can hit the ball over the fence at any time. And I'm going, it's like, well, gosh, I, 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 you know, and and, well, you know, he didn't score that many runs, you know, you know, uh, you know, look how many runs Schwerber scored. The guy said, and hitting in the leadoff spot, they go. Well, look who Schwarber had hitting behind him. Mm. <laughs> you know, Araz was on base, but he didn't have Harper and Real Muto and Castianos and 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 the rest of that gang. And uh, Trey Turner hitting behind. Yeah.
2: Well, well you know, taking... you don't see that that trade for Araz. Um Actually, that kind of stuff used to happen where you got a premier guy like Araz traded for a premier pitcher. Yeah, um, that you know that's the only way that made sense. You know, like for me, you could never trade a batting champion unless you're getting something really important. Well, and and, uh, and Lopez is a great
3: pitcher, and the guy said, "Well, Minnesota fleeced them," and I go, "Yeah, well, I, I you know, yeah, they got a really good pitcher, but they also gave up a really good offensive player for for that's on base all every day." you know, two, three times a day, at least it seems like,
2: you know, it's unbelievable. Yeah. They, they're so short sighted and not understanding how the game's really played. Right.
4: And I I think that, I think you're absolutely right. As far as the short sightedness, I really do. Yeah. Yeah. But they say, you know, they say that chicks dig dig the long ball. I guess general managers do too. Yeah. chicks. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I guess they do. You know,
2: Grover, I'm going to, this is, this is my last question. And that's, uh, you know, and I know you, you always kind of get upset with that human rain delay, what they used to say, <laughs> you were the human rain delay. Yeah. Um, because you had, and I asked you about that. You told me how the ritual, that's how you prepared yourself every pitch. Yeah. And, you know, how would it affect you now where they got the, the clock on there?
4: Well, I'd had to eliminate a few moves, wouldn't I? I think, yeah. I think, I, think I'd, I think I'd be all right. I, you know, I, 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 I really do. I, I don't think that. <clears throat> you know, it just there's certain things that I thought took away my concentration, but just a little bit. Uh, you know, like my you know my uniform hanging up on my shoulder, feeling like my pants are going to fall down. Um, and um, but I could, you know, I I think I'd I'd be I get that question a lot about the, the new pitch rock and I kind of like it. I think I think that they should add five seconds to it, um, just to just to give people a chance to gather their thoughts and take a deep breath.
1: So they're going to reduce it. They're going to try to reduce it this year.
2: Yeah,
4: and that amazing. Oh. Isn't that amazing. You know, yeah. You know, they it, said
2: they're going to increase. They just had on MLB this morning. They they said something about increasing it uh, for on um, when p- players are on base, like to eighteen seconds or something. Uh, they're going to add a few seconds when there's a runner on base. Sure you
4: know,
2: keeps, it sure keeps the game moving. That's that's for sure. It does. I you know, I, but I, years ago, that's all we taught. We had we had Leo Mazzoni on, and we've had Donnie Cooper on, and we all being pitching coaches for a long time. We're saying all of us, that's all we sold our players on is to work right. fast. Right. And yeah. Ray Miller was yeah. was a big one on that. I mean, we I wanted them to go as fast as they were comfortable yeah. doing. Yeah. yeah. And not giving the hitter a chance to clear his mind once they took a bad swing on a pitch. You know, I wanted that to stay in their mind, and and. And, and start, they're still thinking about that, and you're, you're delivering the next pitch. You bet.
3: You, you know, bet. and I, I did talk to some older people in player development as I did minor league coverage this year. And uh, at the lower levels, with all the stuff these kids have to process, that pitch clock is really, really tough for some of the young hitters right now mm. yeah. um, because they're giving them so much stuff. I, I you know, early in the year, some of you know, I, I was seeing fifteen to twenty strikeouts a night at the lower levels. It was really, really bad. And the kids uh I think they need to add a little bit of time and as the hitters get a little better feel for what their approach is gonna be, then you can maybe shave a little bit of time off. But uh with so much data to process, I could see where it would be tough for some young hitters.
4: Yeah.
2: I think it's tough for some older hitters too. Yeah. Well, you know, how about, you know, Grover, this is changing pace, but, you know, how do you, you know, I, I get, I kind of get upset when they talk about how great a player is today and what he's accomplished and stuff. And, and, you know, and I, I, under the the format, the way the game is played now, I get that. I, you know, you know, when you have two Cy Young award winners and one of them through. 185 pitches for the 185 innings. The other one through 200 innings for the season, you know, how, how could you conceivably compare that to the Jim Palmer's, Koufax's, Seavers of the of years ago? Well, you can't, No, I mean, you, you, can't. you just
4: can't. It, it's just, you just can't. And no. I mean, that's, that's just, you know, that's just the way it is.
2: And, yeah, it's, and, and even, even to the point of stolen bases, you know, they get all excited, you know, are they Acuna? Are they going to put an asterisk by the fact that you know he didn't have to run as far on his stolen bases? And, come and on,
3: and the pitchers are limited to the number of times they're allowed right. to go over. So
4: that's a, that's you know, the
3: thing. That's the thing that blows my mind. I, <laughs> how can you hold runners? You know, you, you, yeah. legislation is not going to make the game better. Playing oh. the game better is going to make it better. Yeah. Yes. Right.
1: Mike, were there, any, were there any of the rules that you liked I, when we when we when we first heard about them? I know uh, we have a lot of pitching guys on our network. Everybody liked the fast pitching. Me, as being a former hitter, I was totally against it for the reason Will said. Because I was like, yeah, I want my time in there. But uh, were, were there any of the rules that you thought had a positive impact on the game besides the uh, the pitching clock, or or uh, or one that had maybe an adverse effect on the game?
4: Well, I don't I don't know any of the rules changes that I really like. Um, the one that I just totally disgust me is is the extra innings putting a man on second yeah. base. That just yep. that, that absolutely just just I mean just, just you're just you're you're uh, taken away from the beauty of the game. You know, baseball is not a fast fast paced sport. No, and there's so and there's so many subtleties in the game. I you know I was talking to somebody that, you know a couple of years ago. We were talking about the decisions that a manager has to make during the game. You know, big and small. And, and i and i would say that, that that you know in a regular game where it used to be the manager's probably making anywhere from 150 to 200 decisions in the game and that's you know that's not all of those are, are crucial decisions and big decisions but that's a lot of decisions to make um by putting the man on second base it just it it uh, for me it bastardizes the game and 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 um you know i understand that the fans want the game you know want the game to, to move fast i understand that it saves on your bullpen to to, to do that, and you're not playing 16, 17 inning games where you just blow up your bullpen. Um, you know, I understand those reasons, but that's but that's a part of, that's been that's been part of the game since Admiral Doubleday invented it. And and when you start taking away the subtleties of baseball, um, for me that really hurts hurts the game. And and if it, you're you're a true baseball fan, and you understand some of the subtleties of it, that's the beauty of it. And and uh, and I just it, yeah the decision to put them out on second base in extra innings just blows me up.
2: Well, of course, then they don't do it in the playoffs. So, yeah. So the playoffs are way more important than you losing the pennant by a game um, uh, during a regular season game. When, when a team that they could not compete with you, you're a better team and you let them have a guy on second base. Yeah. Their lineups, half your lineup, they haven't performed good all year, but it's tied at the end of the game, so we're going to let you have a guy at second. That's just not right.
4: No, I, I agree. I, I, I absolutely agree. I just it, uh, and I and I think that a lot of times that uh, that those decisions are made on the whole by people that have no feel for the game.
2: Wow! Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah uh, that sounds like a, a gym class move, putting a guy in second base, a kickball gym class move. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Your time's yeah, we, running out. Yeah. I got, a, I got a multi-sport question for you. We touched on it earlier. Uh, we we really we have a, an audience here that grassroots uh, Little League baseball is a big fan of what we're doing. Message to kids out there about playing multiple sports as opposed to specialization. I, saw, I know you played three sports in college. Just so our audience knows, no other athlete, in Northwest Oklahoma, lettered in three sports. You were a baseball player, as you mentioned, two-time all-conference. You, you kind of undersold your basketball a little, but you averaged 10 points a game. That's pretty good um, at the college level. And then you, you, as a football guy, you had five picks in 1970. Um, what position you play in football? And talk to about that importance of being a multi-sport athlete, if you, if you believe that, for a young well, kids.
4: I, uh, I was a safety in, in college. Um, I think, you know, I think that, that burnout is a real, is a real issue. And and I I think also that that the more sports a kid plays, it keeps him fresh for all the all the sports, uh, and it also develops your athletic ability. I mean, so much so much of sports, obviously. I'm going to say an obvious thing: is it it you know it's, it starts with your feet. Uh, and how many times did we ever talk about Mark and Will in, in meetings about a, a person's first step quickness? Right. No uh, I bad. think that's developed. I think it's developed by playing basketball, and football, and baseball, and and ice hockey or, you know, whatever you want to, whatever you want to play. Um, so I think, I think being a well-rounded athlete, you know, serves, serves kids really, really well. It also keeps them interested in sports and, and you don't, uh, you don't have a kid in, in, uh, in little league. Um, you know, uh, my son played a, uh, played baseball in, in, you know, little league in high school and college, and even played a little bit in, uh, for the Mariners, uh, farm system. but. Um, one year he his I think he was a freshman in high school. Maybe a little, maybe no, it was earlier than that. When he was probably 11, 12 years old, he played. Uh, he played the, you know, the summer league, and then he played. Uh, he had. A, he played a, a a travel league in the fall, and he ended up playing over 150 games of wow. baseball. Man. And that's a lot for a young kid. That's a lot oh, for he- an older man. You know, an older guy. Way but 150 hard. games is a lot of baseball to play for a kid that's 11, 12 years old, and I think that uh, I think that it, it, it it's it serves our kids, um in a in a in a you know a bad way, that they're not involved in other sports to take um, to take some of the brunt of that away.
1: I grew up with that. Uh, people told me every single year you're going to have to choose at some point in time, and I was fortunate enough to have good people around me, parents youth coaches. And then I got to play both sports, baseball and basketball as a college athlete. And if you think you didn't look like a college basketball player, we'll we'll have to wait and meet me someday, five foot nine on a good day, Italian guy. So uh, we, uh, my college coaches got along great. They, they made sure I was not abused. They made sure that I was healthy and I was able to compete at both sports because that was a part of who I was. Uh, So I, I like that message to kids. I hope more parents are listening to what you're saying and set up a little ecosystem for their children so they can just get out there and play while they're young. And then when they get something specialized later on, but you got to be good at something first before you can start thinking of that.
3: Uh, the burnout factor is true. I, you know, I played all sports growing up and I got excited when it was football season, put my glove away and, you know, start playing football and, you know, maybe right around the world series, we might go out in the yard and play some wiffle ball or might <laughs> bite through some stuff, but then football would be over and you play basketball all winter long. And it just, you know, baseball's sport is built from the ground up. You know, you look at players when they, you know, hitters that lose their legs. I think back where, you know, Ryan Howard and Chase Utley, both, you know, Howard had the Achilles and Utley had the knees. Once they lost their legs, neither one of them were the same hitters, yeah. you know, but at playing all those sports, builds that foundational body strength that are so important athletically for everything that you do. You know, guys who play multiple sports have better rhythm and deliveries as pitchers, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. The better athlete you are, the better player, and you also learn how to compete all the time. You're always competing, trying to win, which is important.
4: No, No participation ribbons. No, none whatsoever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Those are big now. Guys, we kept kept Grover for well over an hour here. We appreciate his time. Any any last questions we want to hit him up with?
2: I'm just so glad that we got you on, Mike. We want, we wanted to have you on for since we started the podcast. And uh it's great to get your insights. And I know our listeners got a lot out of tonight.
4: You know, you guys are the best. And I've been like I said, I've been looking forward to sitting and talking to you guys uh we haven't done that in a long long time no uh, i appreciate you asking me on
3: well uh, i I did have a question did not you manage a wbc
4: team one year as well yeah in liberal kansas yeah okay yeah two years we finished we went to wichita for the you know the national championships and we finished uh fourth in the nation one year in the and third in the nation the next year. So it, wow. was, it was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, yeah. Now you helped out with the Italian team oh, too. Did. Right? Yeah, I did, yeah. Oh, the yeah world I, did.
4: I did, yeah. that's That was a – Yeah. That, I, thought... I enjoyed that too, but but it was a, a good friend of mine, Marco Mazzieri, uh, managed that team, and uh, I'd met him. Uh, him and one of his coaches would come over and, and spend two or three weeks with us when I was in Baltimore in spring training. Right. And got to be really good friends with the guy.
3: Wow. Uh, now, somebody told me to tell you guys hello, Mike Paul. So. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Mike uh, I talked to yesterday, told me to tell you. Might, we've had Mike on the show, great guy, but he was asking for both of you, told me to tell you all hello.
4: He's a good guy. Good man. That's, that's, he, he lives here in Tucson. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's he a does. Tucson guy.
1: And uh, Mark, I've got to let you know, uh, Grover could be the best computer guy we had. As one of your guys' guests, because he told me yesterday morning he knew very little anything about the computer. It took him about two seconds to navigate it last night to get on. So, my message to you guys don't golf with him because he sandbagged me. <laughs> two seconds. In fact, he showed me a couple of things on the computer last night while we were talking. So, don't golf with him. How did, oh,
2: yeah. he I'm, I'm easy, but money. he stayed in the game. He stayed in the game, so he kind of gets it.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it was good. How'd you golf yesterday?
4: I just terrible. I told you I was easy money. I lost fifteen bucks.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. but uh, well, guys, great show today as usual. Um, can't can't believe we're at episode three fifty six already. And uh, Grover will have to have you on again. I uh, love the stories, love the messaging, and if you're willing, we'd we'd love to have you back. I would,
4: I would love to come on anytime.
1: Yeah, when you have time. And uh, Mark and Will again bring on great relationships. We talk about pitching, talk about baseball, talk about life, but the thread that goes through both of your shows is the bond that you guys have to. And that's, that's, uh, it's about great relationships and that comes through every show. Um, our audience loves it. 60,000 almost, uh, today. I think the show will put us over the top. It's going to be easy to give this one five stars, write some great comments because we battle the analytics of the podcast world, just like we do in major league baseball, whatever country you're listening to in whatever language you're listening to tune in, uh, make sure you tune in next, uh, actually in two weeks, we're going to be off next week for the holiday. So after we'll play some old shows next week and, uh, Make sure you tune in the week after Thanksgiving. Everybody have a happy Thanksgiving. And make sure you order your Blackout Coffee, capital DAVID, D-A-V-I-D, all caps, number 20 afterwards. You'll get 20% off for your holiday purchase. Feel free to pass it out to friends. Blackout gave permission. Then you get 15% in perpetuity. So we love our coffee, guys, there. Guys, thanks so much. Great show today.
3: Great job, guys. Enjoy. Thanks,
2: thanks. Thanks, Grover. Really enjoyed talking to you all.
0: Sidewalk, carjacking old lady at a red light Who got on the owner of a liquor store You think it's cool, let the fool if you like. Cuss out a cop, speak in his face Scope on the flag and light it up Yeah, you think it's tough It's how that is, a small town See how far you're making it